welcome to our Kingdom Culture Podcast. For today's message, we are thankful for what God is doing through this podcast to encourage and transform lives around the world. If you have a story to share about how God has encouraged or transformed your life through this podcast, we would love to hear about it by emailing us at mystory@kingdomculture.ca. If you would like to support this ministry financially to help us bring messages like this to you every week, you can do so online at kingdomculture.ca at the give option. We also would love to connect with you on our social media, on Instagram and Twitter at KC Ottawa and Facebook at Facebook slash Kingdom Culture Ottawa. We pray that you would experience God today and be encouraged through today's message. Enjoy. Hey, Kingdom Culture. Welcome to our live once again. So good to see you. Also want to welcome all of our extended community watching from around the world, from abroad that are tracking with us week in and week out. It's been an amazing season. You know, for many of us, we're still in lockdown, doing things the digital way. Although we're social distancing, we're digitally connecting. And so we're excited to come at you again during our Revive 2020 series. We've been in this series for many, many, many weeks now. It's been an amazing, transformative theme and series. You know, God has been reviving people's hearts and spirits in in areas that I feel like during this type of season, during pandemic, that God wants us to reawaken to. And so I'm excited because today we're talking about one of my favorite topics with an incredible individual with an incredible name, same name as me. We have Sean Bowles all the way from Los Angeles, California. Welcome, Sean. How you doing, man? Hey, I'm so good. I'm so glad to be with everybody. Hello. So good to see you, man. You're, you guys are still in some level of lockdown. Uh, you haven't been able to pretty, meet it's with... It's pretty intense. Yeah, so since, since March lockdown. 15th. Yeah. Has it, been cra- has, it, has it been crazy? I mean, you have two kids. You know, you have a thriving, <laughs> think, busy ministry. Your offices are on your, on your property. Like, has yeah, it been crazy nice. for you? I mean, our, our team hasn't been able to be here since March uh, 17th, except oh, we did right. a couple of production things. But my little girls, they're five and seven. So the world's really small. So thank God this happened now. But it is both their first year at real school. So we have kindergarten and junior kindergarten. And this is just obviously not been a real school year for them. So it's been really a challenge to homeschool. Both Tree and I said we would never homeschool. And here we are, especially when you homeschool without the right homeschooling tools. We're, we're homeschooling through their school. And it's just been hard but today's the last day of their school yes oh my gosh crazy <laughs> so do you think that you would homeschool in the future now that you've done it or no are you like well in the context of a real homeschool program that's made to help you thrive at home yes in the context of a wonderful christian school who doesn't have that available to it no we're part of a pretty big campus it's about 14 or 1500 kids and it's all the way through um, high school and it's one of the top christian schools in the country of america so it's it's amazing. We love what we have, but to not be able to go there and go virtually, they're just not set up for it. So no. Crazy, man. Wow. Crazy times, man. I just want to say this for all those that are watching. I've known Sean now since 2012. I don't know if you remember this, but we were speaking at the same conference. It was just two Sean's in London, <laughs> Ontario. Do you remember yes. this? Yes. And I remember and I remember sitting down at a restaurant with you after at Earl's restaurant. And you invited Michelle and I to this thing that you were doing. It, I think it was coming into the second year called the Love Coalition, yeah. where you were gathering like global leaders, senior leaders from around the world to just hang out and be relational. And 
man, I, I, it's, it's changed our life. And I, oh, I am so thankful. Both of us, I speak on behalf of my wife, super thankful for that invitation because we've developed some incredible yeah. lifetime relationships because of that invitation. And you were the catalyst. And so I want to thank you, man, because our, our relational life is richer because of you. And uh, I know that so many probably feel the same way that are a part of it or who have, who have been a part of it. Like some amazing relationships have come out of that, that time, man. So, you know, I, I'm super thankful, but it's funny because back in 2004, I don't know if you know this, I was living in Alaska and I hadn't heard about you. And uh, I had met a, a girl named Amy Sollers before oh, she was Amy Ward. Yeah. yeah. Before she was yeah. Amy Ward. And uh, she, we had hosted her, she had a, was part of a ministry out in near Anchorage area. I was in Homer, Alaska, and I was hosting conferences and leading outreaches on the street when I was living in Alaska. And we hosted this event and they came out. I met Amy and she asked me the question, have you heard of Sean Bowles? And I said, no. And she gave me a bunch of CDs of your teaching from back in the day, That's man. So amazing. And I just remember, so I had heard, I, I had have heard to about repent you. Of all those. What's that? <laughs> so I might have to repent of all those. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember, man. And I remember listening to some of them being like, wow, this is awesome. Like, love, And I was, at that time in my life, this was 2004, I had been two years, two and a half years solid on this whole, like, pers- the pursuit of understanding the voice of God. And so I remember those teachings, man, were just incredible. I think they were from, mm-hmm. I want to say Morningstar, possibly. I don't know. I felt Kansas like it City, was a morning star. star. Who knows? Someone yeah. just gave me one of my first teachings I ever did in 1991 or two. I was like 17 or 18. And I was already speaking and traveling and doing stuff all the way back then. And it was terrible. <laughs> well, we, hey, man, we all improve. We're, we all improve. So you, yeah. you've been in ministry, like functional ministry for how long? Like 26, 27 years. And but how, I'm young. Come on. Yeah, so you, yeah, you look young. You, you look young, but how how much of that would you say has been focused on the prophetic? With, with all of it? Or? Say, no, I would say about sixty percent of it has been focused on the prophetic. And then I've spent a lot of time talking about the the subject of transformation. What does it look like for our faith to change the metrics of society, like justice issues and human trafficking, these kinds of things, but also just city transformation or regional transformation. Then the last thing that we focus on is the entertainment and arts industries, and so. Those three together, we call it love, creativity, and justice. Those are our three themes. Um, I've spent my whole ministry on one of those themes. Well, wow. usually a strong, stronger focus on the prophetic as the supporter of the other two, and it's been a pretty awesome uh, road and journey. It's amazing, man. You're you're like uh you're you're one of those incredible catalysts, man. I believe for the whole church to to take what seems so paranormal or so extraordinary and kind of bring it down and break it down to the ordinary individual <laughs> so. and you've done it you've done it really yeah. well man I, i'm super thankful to to be connected to you you've had a huge impact on so many people around my life and my life included the last time i interviewed you if you remember this i you came and spoke at our school of daniel back in 2014 and i interviewed you this is the last time i actually interviewed you i want to see if i can share this with, the, with everybody here i want to share this <laughs> This had never happened to me before. Okay, for me, it never has since. Okay, share screen here. Let me do this. So this is the. (laughs) Can you see that? You can see that, eh? This is what happened. So we we had like a a set. We before I interviewed Sean, I don't think it took me like it took us like forty five minutes probably. (laughs) 
<laughs> it, I, I got hit with I don't I don't get hit with like emotions I can't control, especially when we're in this kind of environment very often. <laughs> it's maybe happened four times in my life, and that was one of them where I just I could not stop laughing. You could not stop laughing. And we just I just I would try and talk and I would just wheeze it out. <laughs> I, know, it was crazy. I sound like Deputy Dog or one of the old cartoon characters, you know, where I can't even breathe. Here's the thing. I think if we stare at this too long, it no. might happen again. It might not happen again. It. So <laughs> this was the last time, 2014, I interviewed Sean and oh, we could not stop laughing. <laughs> anyways, wanted to share that for everybody's amusement. But anyways, I want to dive into this today, man. As you know, we're in this series as a community. This video is going to go out to a lot of people that are part of our extended community and those that just track with us week in and week out that will watch this later. But we've been in this series called Revive 2020, and we're believing that God's reviving specific areas of our life that just need awakening. And one of the areas that I feel so important is an awakening to the value and the reality of the voice of God active in our life, like really present and active. And so our subject today is revive the recognition, leaning into the voice of God. And really the premise scripturally is the fact that I show this all the time with our church, with our community. Whenever I talk about the prophetic, I just actually finished filming uh, an e-course when I was in Brazil on uh, a revising an old school that I used to do. But the premise really is John 10, 27. I got a tattooed actually on my arm and it's my sheep hear my voice. Yeah. I know them and they follow me. And this, this concept of the issue has never been about hearing the voice of God. People say, well, I don't hear the voice of God. I don't hear the voice of God. You hear this all the time too. The issue yeah. has never been about hearing the voice of God. The issue has always been about recognizing whatever it is that you're hearing. And we see that in first Samuel chapter three, where Samuel in his pre-prophet days is hanging out with the Ark of God, symbolic representative of the presence of God in the temple, and he's hearing a voice, Samuel, Samuel. Yeah. He's hearing, but not recognizing, it was the dark ages, not recognizing that it was God. The very God that he's sitting with, technically, with like the Ark of the, the, Ark of the Covenant is there. He's sitting with the Ark. The very God that he's sitting with and laying down with every day is now communicating to him He's hearing, but not recognizing. And Eli had the revelation, his instructor, yeah. his teacher, which is why we need teachers, which is why your resources are valuable, which is why we need teachers in the body of Christ. We need to be instructed to kind of reposition our thinking or our hearing or our, our, our heart leaning, let's call that, to lean in when we are hearing something and don't know what it is. And so by the third time, it was actually the, fully the fourth time that Samuel responded and said, okay, what is it that you want? God, I know that you're speaking now. I didn't know for the first three times, but because I listened to someone else that was pouring yeah. into my life, now I'm like able to lean in. And so we're talking about reviving the recognition, leaning into the voice of God. And I want to start off with just, you know, as somebody that is, like I said, you're a catalyst, you're a new generation of prophetic teachers. And You've, you've made so much of what was so abnormal uh, accessible to the average person. Um, and you're well-respected around the world in teaching people how to hear, recognize the voice of God. What would you say woke you up? Bring us into your story, your journey, when you were er like early on in your life. What woke you up to the voice of God in your own life? Well, I'll, I'll respond real fast to the Samuel thing, because I think it's one of the best parables in the Old Testament of how we hear from God. It's so common to us. He thought it was Eli talking because we're so wired to hear from God. 
that it feels natural, but then it's supernatural. And we do need help to go, wait, this is a God moment. And when you're first learning how to hear from God, sometimes you need like uh, kind of to be shaken awake by somebody else to say, hey, this is God. This isn't just you. And because it's that organic, just the, the God who doesn't fit in time and space somehow lives inside of us or wants to live inside of us if we haven't invited him in yet. And so I think it's so profound how, you know, he sounds like our, the thought, our inner thoughts, our intuition, our impressions, until we learn how to really hear him and discern or identify when it's him. He's sharing the same spirit space or heart space with us. And, and that's really confusing to a lot of people, but it also proves the beauty of our religion that God's serious talking for some reason. I guess I was slurring, but <laughs> sorry, Siri went off. But uh, it proves the beauty of our religion because it shows how, God doesn't just want us to be servants to do things for him, but he wants us to be his sons and daughters who cohabitate so a space like Jesus prayed for in John 17, that we'd be one with him. So I think it's a, such a beautiful subject because really prophecy proves the oneness of our connection to God. And wow. so when I was young, growing up, uh, my parents were first generation Christians, got really awakened to the charismatic uh, Catholic movement. And then from there, jumped into kind of the vineyard stream, if you've heard of that movement. Yeah. Uh, with John Wimber. And then I know you have just listeners who haven't yeah, heard of it. Yeah. It was kind of where the Jesus people movement was in its full fledged, one of the main hubs or hotspots of it. So my parents were running away from the abuse and the, the hardship that they faced in the world. My dad was a, a, a quickly rising ranking uh, in the Air Force all the way up to Colonel. And my mom was a stay at home mom, but would lead like inner healing and, you know, deliverance and these kinds of things. It was just their whole world revolved around the church in our family. And so we just kind of grew up they would ask us what God was showing us and they'd have us pray for healing with them. And it was very real to me, but I hadn't owned it yet. When I was around 11 to 12 and then really 13 years old, I started to have my own kind of experience with God where he initiated it with me and through me. And it really um, kind of centered around my school. I was always pretty popular around like, you know, good groups of kids. I was never the cool one, but I always had cool friends around me. I had good people around me, but there was something about, you know, always having that kind of place of privilege and favor and being in a middle-class family that I would notice people that were the bullied ones, the total rejected ones. And I thought there has to be more to their story. What did God create them to be? So I began to pray for a few of them. And then God began to initiate a series of revelations about their lives. And there's one particular young man who, when I was around 12 years old, he came to our school and he was so awful just as a person, like he would scream around the room crying if the teacher looked at him wrong. I mean, he just had no social awareness, no self-awareness, no social intelligence, the whole thing. But I, and so everybody else would laugh at him and kind of trip him and be bullying to him, whatever. And I just was like looking at him going, there's more to this story. So one day I had this strategy that we would pray and ask God as a little group of friends that were Christians, we pray and ask God about this kid's life. You know, he wasn't with us. So you were 12 I, at this time. You were 12. Yeah. Crazy. And I was like, I think we need it. I heard his birthday is coming up. I think we need to celebrate his birthday. So let's go over to his house. Let's all talk to his parents and we'll see if we can do a birthday party. Well, he had never had a birthday uh you know, party before. And he had grown up, it's a long story of how he'd grown up, but he'd grown up in so much abuse and had just moved in with his dad and stepmom after a life of abuse with his mother and her boyfriends. And so I didn't know any of that, of course. And so we went over to the house. It was super awkward. He was really hard to be around. Uh, I mean, he would, if he heard this, he's not walking with God, but if he heard this, he would laugh. He would, he would agree with me. And he just had never been socially transformed. He'd never been, he, he never had that caregiver. He never had that, you know, and, and during that season, I started pressing a relationship and it was a liability for about a year. Some of my normal friends would back away because they're like, you like him more than you like us and he's a mess. And I have to say, no, 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 I'm fighting for a relationship with you. 
but there's something about him that I know God wants to heal or do. And a lot of my friends weren't Christians, so that was hard for them to swallow. But I watched over about a year period where he started to change and get the social cues. And also he didn't accept Jesus in his heart at that time, but he started changing a whole bunch. And then after a while we went, he went on the radio. It was really funny, a trip to Disney and our parents let us go alone. Wow. The eighties. I don't know. That's so they wild. let us get on a bus and go all the way. Never to ha- that would never happen today. I don't know. My parents still don't understand how they let this happen. We, I, when I bring it up, they're like, how did we let you go? There wasn't even a chaperone. It was just the radio station put people on a bus. We all went, we all met at a certain point and then oh. came back. It was just bizarre. Well, on the way down on the bus, I mean, it was a good six hour drive from where I lived to Disneyland. And so he shared, or maybe it was seven or eight hours. And he shared, uh, about this, he was basically human trafficked by his mother. I didn't even know that term at the time. Wow. He was trafficked by his mother for boyfriends to get money. That's how she lived. So he shared all this and we just prayed together and he received Jesus. And I took him to his house afterwards and we, we went with his mom and dad, his stepmom and dad. And I had him share this and open up to them. And they, he went straight into therapy. Luckily, he was a Christian counselor. And he just began to change over time. And as he changed over time and unpacked all this wounding, and as God spoke to him and as God spoke to us around him, he became like, I kept telling him, you're going to be like a champion. You're going to, you're going to win medals in sports. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to have so much given to you. And he had a hearing problem. So he couldn't hear very well without hearing aids. And he ended up getting a full ride scholarship to UCLA wow. for sport. And he ended up becoming a state champion in that sport. Like the things that we spoke to him when we were 12 and 13 ended up happening. So I was watching stories like that unfold through my youth where my parents were running kind of away from the world and they were like immersed themselves in the church and conferences and all that stuff. And I was running into the world saying, my faith has to change the metrics of lives in the world. Yeah. So that's kind of how I, I think I grew up around. My parents were super excited about charismania land. And also they, and they had legitimate balance and wonderful Christian faith too, but they loved like the end times. And my mom would get people say based on really bad rapture theology, she doesn't even believe in it anymore, but it was just, you know, in those days. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I just couldn't even, I couldn't enter into that. I wasn't too cool for, it. I just didn't believe in it, but I loved Jesus so much. I was like, Jesus, you came to set people free. I have to be able to see that. So he started to show me how to walk with him. And it was a cost the entire time I was in junior high and high school. I was paying a price to be friends with people who not everybody would or to go after issues that not everybody cared about. There's a Christian school group, a club on our campus. It was the only Christian group on the campus of like 7,000 students. And they were complete isolators and they were they just made everyone feel bad. And then I'm being a Christian. I was super popular I'm being a Christian. They were mad at me for not joining them, but I couldn't because they were so isolated. And I wanted to see the school transform. We had two nurseries for single uh, moms who were pregnant on the the campus to have their, it was like really weird statistics on this campus back in the 80s. And so it felt like I was able to integrate my faith into a very hostile environment and see Jesus, his beauty resonate with people in a real way. And that ruined me. And I ended up leaving um, school, my public high school when I was a junior because I became uh, part-time youth pastor with another guy. We became co-youth pastors of a youth group. So I ended up leaving school to do ministry. And, but I didn't leave my friends. Like I still stayed in touch with them. Yeah. And I mean, I had friends who became prostitutes who we ended up meeting later on and street evangelism. I had friends who became like from school that were like, I stayed connected to hundreds, if not over 1500 people, probably who, um, I, you know, I didn't, I wasn't able to share the Lord with all of them, but I was able to love them well. And then I met them through life. I mean, there was a whole Wicca witch coven and I became friends with them and loved on them and didn't put our religions in the way, but just really loved on them. So when gradually seven of the 10 of them got saved through the years. So I got to watch how Jesus and how me being faithful and just real and love had long-term fruit from all the way back when I was in high school, I'm 46 now. And I still get calls from people. I got a call 
uh, the end of last year from a friend from high school who had given his life to Jesus. And he, the reason why is because he remembered me, looked me up and saw it was legitimate. So after all these years and I'm still seem happy, wow. and content, reached out to me and said, if this is real, I need this and got saved. That's amazing. And it's still evident, like your, your impact in the entertainment industry, in the film industry, in the, in the, the realm of the mountain of justice and, and government, your, your influence is still, it's still evident that you're still out there. You're not just in oh. your little bubble. You've, you, you said it, you never were really in the bubble. You never really like to live in that space. And we're called and to- And I love the local church, but I think what happens in the bigger movements, a lot of times, uh, if, if we're not all in the same oneness of heart and mind, people can focus on what God's not doing or what people are doing wrong or just different theologies. Yeah. And it becomes political or religious and those kinds of things. Like if I get into a green room, I get into a room of people and they start telling me negative things about other people. I'm out of the conversation. I'm like, yeah. I, I don't have time for this. There's too yeah. many, like there's too much going on where people need my real energy and this sure. steals energy for me. So I think I've been, always been a little bit resistant to um, the, the hierarchy of some of the formality of what happens behind the scenes. Cause my main resistance has never been from, the entertainment industry or politics or the poor. My main resistance has always been people in the church who should love me, we should be in unity, but somehow they decided that I'm a fake or that I research words or I do something and they come after me. So that's, yep. I just say that to, to kingdom culture because when you're taking huge ground and you're being a reformer and when you're believing God's going to do something, your resistance never comes from the places you'd expect it. It usually comes from people who should be, it's like your auntie and uncle, not your, yeah. and, and sometimes even like some of your close friends. It's not, this, the mayor of the city, the mayor of the city is actually going to become your best friend through this. Whole, I mean, it's yeah. just, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have heard it said a lot. Like the church is one of the places that end up wounding their own, you know, and and, I, I and, think local churches do a really good job. A lot of times of not doing that. I think what happens is, is as soon as we have to manage someone, uh, someone's yeah. issues on a hierarchical management structure versus a relational process yeah. is yeah. when we violate that place of love and it just becomes religion. No, for sure. And I love that you're about that. You you really you really walk in that I mean, the whole love coalition premise is relationship. It's not a yeah. it's not a it's not a system, it's not an infrastructure, it's not a you know, a, a, some sort of protocol of <laughs> of being successful in life if you just do A, B, and C. It's relationship. And you've been very good at facilitating and modeling that, living that out. I appreciate it. I also relate to what you're saying that you know, I mean, even for me in my journey, when I had my encounter at 18 years old, my journey in what we're talking about today and recognizing the voice of God started on the street. Like I learned oh. to recognize the voice of God, not in the church circle. In fact, the church I was going to when I had my encounter didn't even talk about the Holy. I had never even heard the term Holy Spirit mentioned. Oh. In fact, when I first read in John that when Jesus was 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 going to ascend and he would leave another. I was so new in understanding the role of the Holy Spirit. I thought, I'm like, this is awesome. Another guy's coming. Like, where's this other guy? Like, Holy Spirit. I had no idea. He was already within me. I, I was so new in that concept. I had never heard it talked about. So my, my journey in recognizing the voice of God wasn't in the bubble of church. It was actually on the street, in the marketplace. And I learned so to bring a palatable yeah. experience of the supernatural make what's ext extraordinary, ordinary, which is why I feel like I relate to you so much in this area, because that's, that's the heart of God in the end. But let me just rewind back something you said, two things you said that really struck me. One thing that I, I want to make practical and something you said in the beginning, I don't know if you, if you even meant to say it, but, or maybe you did, but 
you said it like this. You said, uh, prophecy is proving your oneness. Man, that's like a weighted statement right there. Prophecy is proving your oneness, that you know you are one with God, speaking on behalf of God. I mean, we both agree that prophecy really in its simplest form is is representing the heart and mind of God, whether it's through speech or action, yeah. to a person or to a situation. Can you just break that down a little bit and then also just rewind a little bit and really just briefly talk about when you're 12 years old and you're getting a word for this guy's life. I mean, I don't know if you had teaching before you were 12 years old on the voice of God, but give us some like insight into as a 12 year old, how you <laughs> interpreted the voice of God at that stage, because the way you interpret God now has developed. It develops over time. We mature, but back then you're 12 years old. I mean, you don't have much experience yet. So if you can touch on I'll start with things. that one and then I'll go to the other one. Yeah. Because, when, you know, I, it's funny because the way that I hear from God after all these years has become more fine-tuned, but it's still the same. And I think people are waiting for the moment that they, God can trust them enough to speak to them audibly or to, you know, give them the open visions. And I've had some of those experiences through the years. Thank God. I'm so grateful for those experiences. But I can't rely on those level of experiences and manifesting all the time because God doesn't want to come as a disruptor. He doesn't want to come as a disruptive voice to you to be like foreign and out, you know, external. He actually is proving I'm living with you. My sent my Holy spirit. And if you look at the best passage of scripture on prophecy, it's first Corinthians two verse nine and on where it says, no, I have seen no ears heard what God has in store for those who love him. But you know, by a spirit that this is the spirit of God searches the deepest parts of the father. And then the deepest parts of you and marries those things together. And you have the mind of Christ, which means we have the same mind to process what's in the father's heart. And this right here, like a lot of times, you know, the old uh, 19, what is it? Oh, seven Pentecostal movement with the Zusa street and the whole thing, which I love. I absolutely love this movement, but they really, there was an overemphasis on tongues being the evidence that we're filled with the Holy spirit, and the presence of God. And I love praying in the spirit. I love the gift of tongues. I love tongues that come in other languages, the whole thing, all that is so good. But Paul clearly says in first Corinthians 14, go after all the spiritual gifts, especially that you would prophesy because if you speak in tongues, no one's going to understand. It's really your own relationship when you run out of things to pray or when you're coming to more agreement with God. It gives you spiritual ways to pray that's not limited to here or to just your emotions. But prophecy, what prophecy does is that it proves that God, the God of everywhere is with us right now and that he cares about the things we care about more than we care about. So good. And so I, you know, as a young man, I feel like I was already in a charismatic culture. My parents taught on the spiritual gifts a lot. I'd been in many, many home meetings. We even went to nursing homes. My parents were so awesome. We'd like, went to nursing homes every month. We went to prisons. We went to, I mean, they somehow let us in as little kids into certain types of prisons and whatever. We went to all kinds, we did retreats. My parents did youth ministry. They just were, they, they were a little too active in the church, I think, because they, they did as much as a paid pastor would do each. And we just were exposed to it all. And we didn't resent going. Like a lot of people who are in that environment are like, oh, I got to go to the Bible study. I was excited. I wanted to see what God would do because when he healed somebody or transformed somebody's life or we'd watch somebody who was, you know, on drugs and they get uh, delivered. And I was like nine seeing someone who was this way and became this way. And my sister was 11 years or she is 11 years older than me. And she was deeply involved in this as well. And she would lead worship with my mom. And I really idolized my sister. I thought she was so amazing. So watching her get off, you know, she'd be singing at 16 and then stop and prophesy over someone and go back into singing, you know, their, wow. their 70s, 80s style folk music, guitar worship. And it just really impressed or impacted me in a deep way to watch my parents and my sister and then 
my other sister, Jennifer, and I were more close in age. And so we would just go right along for all this. So I loved it. And again, I was like, I loved it. We had a lot of people get saved. A lot of like people who had never got saved. It wasn't for my parents and just the way they loved each other. Um, and the way they love the family. But one step out of that, I, I remember even being little saying, I'm going to be on TV or I want to, I'm going to do, I'm going to, I'm going to minister to those people. And my mom would go, no, 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 no. She was afraid, terrified of the world. She liked when people came to us or when we brought people to us, but she was terrified of going. And so I think as a kid, I started to hear from God and I recognized it because it was the same thing that was happening already in my house. I recognized them very easily in that sense. But the risk taking actually took more faith because my family wasn't in an agreement culture for a lot of it. They were like, I, my dad would tell me, because people would break down and tell me their core level problems the first time they'd meet me, even adults. And my dad didn't believe me. He, he was so rational in an engineering mindset of being an aerospace engineer. And one day we're in a line at a uh, convenience store getting some sweets or snacks or something. And uh, he took us there for family night. And, and I said, dad, I'm just overwhelmed. Just everyone keeps telling me the problems. I was in eighth grade. Everyone tells me their problems all the time and I pray with them, but I feel like it's not enough to release the burden. I don't know what God's growing me in, but it's just so hard. And my dad goes, I don't know if I believe you because why would people tell, and I told him the types of problems. It was like divorces and wow. pornography and like, you know, addictions, whatever. But it's like, why would people tell a kid? I go, I don't know. So we get in line and this woman behind us is about to cry. And I look over and I go, are you okay? And she goes, my husband's leaving me and throws up on me her a 13 year old her whole life and my dad's wow. watching us and I'm praying oh for it gosh. we go off to the side and I'm praying for it and she's hugging me and I give her my mom's phone number and I'm like call my mom and you know my dad and I leave and my dad's like I'm so sorry I didn't know like this is overwhelming and you were 13 I was 13, 13. and you just you just because you saw it modeled you watched it happen it wasn't like you hesitated in your mind you're not like Oh, should I do this? Should I pray? Should I lean in? You just did it. Like, for, it seems like you were just. And I think, in. too, you know, when you're growing and hearing God's voice, you're really discerning and you don't necessarily have the right boundaries up yet. So I think there's that part where you're, when you're discerning, it's like you know something. I knew the lady was hurting. And it wasn't just because she physically and visibly looked hurting. I could feel the spiritual rootedness of the issue and I could feel that God could help her. So nowadays, I might just pray for her in my spirit and go, God, help that woman. But in that moment of being young and vulnerable, I didn't know. I just, I was like, are you okay? Let's pray. You know, like, and, and jumped in and I, I jumped in and did rescue missions a lot more than I probably should have, but there was so much fruit from it through decades of ministry that it's, and even before ministry, that I'm glad I did it for so long. But there's, you know, I, I love how Heidi Baker says, stop for the one. What are you going to do when you stop for him if you don't hear from God though? Because people need spiritual That's resolution, not just natural help. Natural help is awesome. We're always, as Christians, supposed to provide natural help, but people don't always see God through natural help because they can get better natural help through a lot of other organizations many times. But they see God when we can bring a spiritual feeding to them or spiritual resolution. When you're hungry for spiritual food and truth, food and truth, when somebody feeds you that, they're like, wait, 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 something that's emaciated in me just came alive. 100%. And that's the part that I feel like, you know, hearing God's voice changes the world around us so much. Yeah, it does. And Jesus said it. And John, he said, my food is not like your food to his disciples. He said, my food is to do the will of him who Absolutely. sent me. And how did he do the will? It's just in John 5, 19, that he only did what he saw his father doing. And in John 8, that he only said what he heard his father say. So like, it's food actually to our spirit to be led by the spirit, which is the, I love this. It's the proof of our oneness as sons. Cause it says in Romans eight, verse 14, that those who are led by the spirit led by, in a sense, the voice of God are sons of God. So it's like the leading of God really is the 
demonstration of our oneness. So I think it brings it back to that. I, that statement, man, is so powerful because I've been talking a lot about in this last season about our oneness with God, our oneness with God and demonstrating our oneness with God. It's one thing to be one with God, but then prove it, which is what you said, by demonstrating it. And you were doing this even as like a 12-year-old man. It's, cra- <laughs> it's crazy. So I mean, that blows my mind. I mean, my kids, I have four kids under the age of, well, all this is almost 11 now, but yeah. four kids under the age of 10. And on this quarantine, like I am seeing a whole like accelerated yeah. growth. And by the way, my kids love your book, your kid's book. Oh, I'm so glad. And they all, every time, okay, it's so funny because every picture of any minister they see on a podcast, they're, like, they're always like, is that Sean Bowles? Is that Sean Bowles? Is that Sean Bowles? <laughs> like, guys, look, this is Sean Bowles. And they, they always, because like you're like their reference point for all the spiritual people right now, it seems like. That's so but uh, but it, they love the book, and but their 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 awareness, man, it's incredible. Especially my son, who's seven, like his awareness of God, and he's operating in prophetic words now, like on his own initiative, like just weeping over his sisters, praying wow. over his sisters, prophesying, and <clears throat> promise my oldest and victory. They're all prophesying over each other. My victories getting words of knowledge like i mean detailed words of knowledge having a dream about you know her clothes coming in and then the first day that's not a not a holiday the clothes come in in the mail like just wow. stuff to encourage her along her journey man i don't like have any recollection of that stuff when i was a kid at all but um one of the things that i want to just draw from one of your previous stories but back to the 12 year old i can't get off this for a second is you know you said that the way god spoke to you then is similar to the way that God speaks to you now. Yeah. Can you just break that down? So, you know, and, and this kind of moves us into the next segment of our conversation, even though we skipped something I wanted to talk about, your challenges. Maybe we can get into that in a little bit here. Challenges in leaning into the voice of God, recognizing the voice of God. But I wanted to talk about some keys that you've applied or learned over the years of learning to recognize the voice of God in your life. And so if you think back to when you were 12, what would you say the main way then God spoke to you? Was it like this impression? Was it's it like still the main way now? I think it's the main way because I train just like you do. So many people how to hear God's voice, and we are we have an online mentoring community, so I have thousands of people online who we talk about these things, and it's interesting to hear their feedback. I'm like doing surveys now. We're like starting our first survey period um, soon, but we did a light one and questioned a bunch of them, and it was like still the number one way people hear from God is internally part of their internal process a lot of times in your conscience uh process and that's really confusing to a lot of people because they were expecting the james earl jones voice and lightning as bolts. their yeah lightning bolts but again god doesn't want to disrupt us he wants to do life with us and there's several scriptures Amazing. about the holy spirit gently nudging us from within he's also forming christ within us and he doesn't want us to do it like the disciples went to jesus and they're like can we be your right and left hand can we be your generals and your military And he's like i'm going to make your sons he couldn't explain it to him because it wasn't time, but he wanted to give them even more than that. So he didn't like shut down the desire. He just redirected and said, only the father can give you things like that. Ask the father. And then he told them later in John, like you said, 10 and then 14, 15 and 16, that the Holy Spirit would come and he would speak to them things from the father because he was trying to rewire their desire. Now, here's one of the keys. And this is, that's just all kinds of stuff. But here's one of the keys. One of the keys when you're first really learning how to recognize when it's God's voice is to look back at wins in your life that were big wins. And then find out how you got there because 90% of the time it wasn't you. It wasn't your charm, your good looks and your great talents and ability. And then go, okay, what did I do to partner for that win? 
with God. Because even if, sometimes before you're saved, you can even see these. I've done this with people who aren't saved at New Age fairs and other places. Like, let's look for where God showed up in your life. You say you're not intuitive. You don't hear from God. And I always say God. I know a lot of people do the whole stealth thing. I'm just a Christian. So I, I'm like an old-fashioned evangelical. I can't help it. But, um, you know, <laughs> where, where, are the, where are the wins you've had? And so here's an example of a businessman who came up to me and said, Sean, my wife's the prophetic one, which I hate because it's an excuse we make when we feel like we're supposed to evangelize with prophecy every day or we're not a real prophetic person or something, you know, or we're supposed to have vision seven times in the morning because that's what prophets do or whatever. It's like we have this image of what it is to be hear God's voice. And a lot of us because one third of the Bible is about prophecy and prophets. And we read it and we're like, oh, well, I haven't had that kind of experience. So therefore, I don't really hear from God. And I hate that comparison thing, but it's natural. So when I say I hate it, don't feel guilty or ashamed if you do that, because I've even done that. It's true, because uh, I, I believe this with all my heart. Comparison is a global pandemic in the body of Christ. Comparison is a calling killer. And it is. We're, we're all called to express heaven as ambassadors of heaven. But what kills that calling is like what you just said. Oh, so-and-so, that, that's their thing or whatever. We're always comparing and feeling oh. lesser than because we don't do the way that they do or talk or look or sound the way that they sound. And so, yeah, it's so true, Matt. I think that's so well, important. And I would say, and I'll go back to the story, but I would say over the last year and a half, we did about 40 events. So maybe we've done 60 in three years where we hosted our own events and we trained people on the basics of hearing from God. And then I, I would model in those times. And some people have seen, because we release videos, other people release videos. And uh, it's showing me like, and high moments of like where I get something really specific, a social security number, I speak in another language I don't speak in or whatever. And it's so profound. And then we've also released videos that don't get as much viewership where it's like, just God loves you. You know, God really cares about your heart. He really cares about your thing. And it's not, there's no profound revelation. The, the word can apply to 25 people, but that person needed to hear it. Or the word can apply to thousands of people. It'd be fortune cookie word to some degree, but because there's an anointing that God's saying it, it's not fortune cookie because it's not something you hope for. God wraps your faith around it. You know, there's going to be resources and provision for you in this season. And that's true for everybody, but that person needed to hear it the most, you know? And I feel like, again, if we compare ourselves, if I compared myself, most of my words, I would say for the last 25 years have been that level of like, there's some level of generic to them. Um, as far as the, the public platform ministry or the one-on-ones when people come up and want to get a meet, Matt, um, and I just pray with prophetic intention. It's super sweet. It's very kind. It's very connected. And maybe we can listen to some of those recordings and it's more specific than I'm saying. Maybe I'm uh, underemphasizing it, but it feels like a lot of the words we give could be given to a number of people. But then there's those moments that an anointing that's greater overtakes me or the person, and I see something that's beyond that's so specific for them. And those moments are 1% to 5% of the time. And they're beautiful moments. And it proves a level of God that I think has caused people to go, wow, Sean, what you're doing is super amazing. But when I, if I compare what I'm doing overall with some people who are out there who are super gifted and have a lot more of that anointed time, I'm actually just still pretty average. And when I say that, I don't have a low self-esteem spiritually or naturally. It's just that I know that uh, what people are looking for versus what I usually manufacture are two different things. People are looking for, where's my missing child? I'm like, God loves you today. You know, like, those are radically right. different. So when you have performance and comparison on you, it kills your ability to be real with where God's at with you. I can't meet the FBI's needs. They've asked me some questions. I've tried to speak into some situations. I've had given them a little indicators here and there to help them. I had, you know, one successful, if you look at it, 
help for the FBI, but the rest of them were like, I don't know. So, okay, wait, wait, wait. So just rewind there. Just for everybody listening, you just said that you gave input to the FBI. <laughs> That's pretty cool. That's well, yeah, and they, they'll ask, like, there's different people. There's Christians who are police officers and FBI agents. Right, so whatever, right. and they'll ask questions. And there's a group right. in Mission uh, Church Amazing. in Vacaville that they actually have a team that they help solve local people's missing people, uh, especially children. And they've had about seven out of hundreds of cases, but they've had seven fruitful tips that have led to solving of murders or or have helped people come back home. That's the way I believe it's supposed to be uh, yes. in an, an ideal yes. world where the church is thriving in this area. Yes, and when you hear that though, people's expectation is I'm not prophetic evangelizing, I'm not helping cops, I'm not telling the world that uh, coronavirus is coming, I, I'm preparing them. So what use is this gift? Versus this gift, just like yeah. if you have a really connected relationship to your spouse, or really like a bestie, a best friend, who when you share your heart with them, they rebalance uh, your perspective and they help you to have hope in the right areas and they help your development. That's really what the prophetic's for. And then on top of that, it's God giving messages on how to prepare the world. And so I think when we understand it's a relational gift first, and then it's a performance gift after, meaning it helps you to understand your calling, destiny, purposes. That's secondary, but it is very important. But the but primary is identity, and it's it helps you, you know, like wisdom is a big, the word of wisdom is a very big part of the Revelation gift mix that most of the church doesn't even care about. And yet that's, I think, one of the primary things Jesus operated in where he showed wisdom on how to love and manifest his kingdom. That's and nice. so back to the story. So this businessman, my wife's the prophetic one, and I go, hey, tell me this. And I, I know him a little bit, so I know he has a couple kids. He has three kids. Excuse me. And um he said, tell me the last big win you had with one of your kids. And he goes, oh, I have a good story, okay? Um, my son was getting married to a girl he met in a mission field. They both took time off of college, went to missions for one year, and then we're going to go back to college. She was getting her uh, master's or PhD, I can't remember which one. And he was getting higher education as well. And so they met each other. She's from a developing nation. She, she's kind of a gypsy in her heart. She's never, they, her family's never owned a house. The kids, like, in the family never really got married. It's just... They're very independent and he met her. We love her, but I could see like she has never, has no value for stuff or for family as far as kids and everything else. She's just a career driven woman who wants to change the world. And so my wife and I felt like we should give them a portion of their inheritance. So this is a huge story. Wow. Cause they're pretty wealthy people, a portion of their inheritance early so that she and he could buy a house like as a wedding gift that she could nest in and that it would help change things for her and change her wow. identity a little bit and help nurture some things in her first and so, um, so I said, what happened? He goes, well, we did just that. And their first year of marriage, they got pregnant. She changed her career. So it was mostly at home. She could work from home. And now they have the third one expecting at the time. So now that it's a baby a couple years old. Uh, the third one is now on its way. And she loves being a mom and she loves owning a house. But she never thought she would do that. She wanted to live in every country for one year type thing, you know, in her life that she could. And, um, and it's changed my, our quality of life as grandparents and as parents because of that. And I said, so how did you get to that decision? And he goes, I just thought it would be really good based on those facts I told you. I said, but where were you when you made that decision? Well, my wife and I have a prayer room at our house and we were just wow. praying, what should we do for their family as they're yeah. going forward? And I'm like, okay, so you were in a prayer room asking God, this yeah. idea dropped into your head out of, it sounds like your own intelligence and you're claiming to be the hero of the story. I'm sorry. You're strong enough to cut off a generational maybe curse and uh, change her whole identity and also change her career path because of a decision you made out of wisdom or is God involved in this? He goes, well, no, I mean, I told, told you it's God, but I didn't hear it from God. I said, well, how did you hear it? Well, I just knew to do it. 
what could you maybe consider that in that knowing as a prototype for how you can hear from God more powerfully? Yep. So let's let's look at two or three more of those stories. By the time we looked at three stories where he had fruit in his life that was uncommon, it wasn't fruit that he produced every day. He could see the moment he made a decision and how there's an interaction between him that was different, but it felt very organic to him because we're wired for it. So it should feel like, yes, this is normal, but it's not exactly normal. And by the time we're done now, he's the prophetic one in the family. He believes he hears from God. He doesn't feel like he's a prophet or he's going to do ministry that way or whatever, but he knows in his business and with his family that he's wired to hear from God and he makes decisions that are so powerful. And I think having that level of pressure that, you know, if you hear from God, you have to be on a prophetic team or a ministry team or something, or you have to do prophetic outreach or evangelism to take all that off the performance off of it and just say, I need to learn how to hear from God for my relationship with God and for everything he planned before time began to manifest in me. I need to know him that way. That puts you in a whole different category. It's like, all of a sudden, that's manageable. To have to do something because you hear from God is actually scary. To actually learn how to hear from God for the sake of first your own life and the people you're stewarding, you'll do all the other stuff if you get it right here. Yeah. So really what we're saying right now is, you brought this up very clearly, is that one of the keys is looking at the wins. Where have you won big? And then tracing it back. Where were you when you were praying? How did it happen? Maybe you weren't praying, but Maybe you had been praying for weeks and then all of a sudden, boom, you're in a moment. Well, could that be God? And is God speaking to you in a way that just seems so yeah. normal and every day, which honestly, I know for me, one of the greatest keys or one of the greatest ways that God speaks is those most common impressions, spontaneous, Absolutely. what I call God thoughts. I mean, and I think the average person out there or even the quote unquote, um, you know, let's call them uh, uh, well-respected prophetic people out there, would say the same thing, that yeah. they hear probably the most common way they hear is that still small voice, impression, spontaneous God thought. It's almost more natural feeling than supernatural because it's just in your everyday. And that's the kind of God that we are in union with. That's the kind of God that we are, are one with. And what you just said, basically, in my opinion, demystifies this this. Uh, really the mystery, because it is kind of a mystery, the voice of God, but it's it's capable of being demystified. Like it's mysterious in that it's multi-layered. And even in Revelation, it talks about the voice of God being like a rushing, mighty rushing waterfall. And if you take an oscilloscope and you measure the sound waves, I mean, there are frequencies you can't hear with your natural ear. Yeah. You need yeah. a machine to, 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 to graph it out and measure it out, the frequencies. But they say that even in a waterfall, there's over 20,000 different tones. Wow. And it's funny because, because in, and then it goes on, and I think it's Revelation 20, 21 talks about how, it, or thir maybe it's 13, about how the voice of God's also likened to a symphony of harpists. And when you are in an acoustically treated environment, like that's really well done, you can actually, in a symphony, you can actually pick apart all the different tones clearly. And if you trace that back to John 10, 27, where it says, my sheep hear my voice, that word for voice, one of the words is tone or sound. Yeah. My sheep, and the word hear comes from a word where we get the word acoustics from. It's like this, we, we as sheep have cultivated within our life an acoustically treated environment where we can distinguish like a mighty rushing waterfall or a symphony of harpists. We can distinguish the different tones. And so Although it's grand, it's massive, the voice of God and the way he communicates, there are those ways that he's always communicating to us that are just normal. 
And so I think there's kind of two sides of the coin. I think you probably agree with this, that there's like the, I know for me, God speaks to me in dreams all the time. But honestly, throughout my day, I'm not dreaming. And I'm the most common way God speaks to me is that still small voice, slight impression. I would love it if you could share, share just quickly here, one of the most powerful word of knowledge, prophetic stories, and then tie that into another key, maybe if you can, of one of the most common ways God speaks to you outside of what you just mentioned. So like one of the most, maybe you're on a plane, you're at a conference, like game changing. What, what was one of those stories that like altered your trajectory and like, wow, God. Yeah. I mean, I think like, um, one of I'll, I'll do one fast one and one well the both fast one of them is um real simple uh we we're at a prophetic meeting with lots of people who are well known in the prophetic and we all stood up on the platform together and we're going to minister in the prophetic and over different people and i had nothing and they were profound and one of the guys felt like he told people a dream from last night what i meant without knowing it you know that kind of stuff it was so profound and i, I had a desire in that moment to be really profound but i only had one word and i noticed at the very end of the meeting this woman in the back i felt like i hadn't seen her before that but so in the back, and I just thought God said, I want you to tell her that I love her. I'm like, God, I can't, after all these people, all the things they've said, just say, God loves you. I just can't do it. And, uh, and, and then I started to think, why am I rationalizing with God? Like, I said I'd be obedient, so I'm going to try this out. So they, I was the last person to prophesy, and, uh, and I said, hey, the woman back there in the room at this point was like, you know, huge faith. I said, the woman back there, God just wants you to know, he loves you. He really loves you. And she just hit the floor screaming, crying, but not like, church style it was like really broken undone crying wow. and she's saying you don't understand you understand and it was related to us because you could hear her screaming it in the back but we couldn't really understand the front basically she was going to kill herself she's going to go find a bridge and kill herself she hadn't been to church before and she said god if you're real I'll give you one chance if there's a church that's open it's like a thursday night or something if there's a church that, that's open i'll go in there and if you speak to me i won't kill myself wow and so out of all Crazy. the people there and she hadn't seen everything else that happened so she would have been weirded out and left she comes to the meeting and I said, that woman, right, right when I said, that one right back there, maybe a five minute you know, delay from when I saw it. And so she didn't commit suicide because, and got saved because of that. So that was one of my favorites because that's who God is. He loves our emotional needs too. Like he, there's so much mental illness and there's so much depression and God isn't mad at us for that. He wants to help us. And this woman got somewhat of a deliverance from that. And then the second one I'm going to tell is I was in a, um, a Chinese restaurant in an Asian nation with a billionaire friend um, who I met through prophetic revelation stuff. And he brought me out with two of his friends who they were elders at a church, but they basically shared because they drank a little bit too much grape juice at, at uh, dinner. They were a little bit more loose than they should have been. They were lots of wine. It was funny. And they shared how they didn't really believe in Jesus. And he's like, come on, we can all say this. And they didn't, didn't know my ministry. So they don't know who they're saying this to. Not that I could prove to them anything, but they didn't know like my whole ministry is based on the fact that I believe Jesus did raise from the dead and he is real. And so he was a real historical figure, but let's face it, religion is just, you know, something that called the masses. And what, I mean, they just were really rude. This is an Ivy league trained PhD thinker builder and has a theology degree and has put money into a church, one of the biggest churches in that nation. And is an elder on the staff and is confessing to me that he doesn't believe Jesus Christ is real. And I go, I don't know about that, but I know, um, I don't know how to even talk to you because you're smarter than me. And I think you'll just argue out. But I said, I just think like, I'm, I've just been sitting here thinking about you and praying for you and your family. And you didn't talk about a daughter, but do you have a daughter? He's like, yeah. And I go, she's like 16 years old. And it's like, he looks at my friends like, did you tell her? And he's like, no. And I said, uh, is her name this? He said, yeah. And I go, 
and she's struggling with like real purpose depression. Like she doesn't really know what she's supposed to be and her friends all know. And she's really devastated right now. And they both get tears in their eyes, the husband and wife. They're like, how do you know this? I said, because God, the Jesus you said isn't real. is standing with us in, the, in, in our midst and he's showing me how much he loves your daughter. And he's heard your cries and you feel like he's been silent, but he's actually been screaming at you strategy and plans. I'm going to help you right now. So I tell him a few things and they, about music and some other things that she's called to. And they're like, yes, yes, yes. And they get this whole plan and strategy to bring her out of this dark night of the soul type place that a child can be in. And they're just like shocked. So by the time we're leaving the restaurant, he has his arm around me, that billionaire and me. And he's like, how are we going to change the world with Jesus? Like he's, everything wow. he knew about God came alive. Like he didn't need to be evangelized because he already knew to accept Jesus into his life. He just didn't believe it. And so those are two of my favorite right now, just because one shows our emotional health and then one shows how even believers who are unbelieving and who God really is, um, our God wants to, he didn't want to punish him. He wanted to awaken him. And I'll say this, when you're reading prophetically the, the gospels and you read the parables, one of my friends told me this years ago, and it helps you when it comes to seeing yourself in the world right now. And you have to hear God to do it this way. When you read about the, the prodigal son or you read about the talents or you read about any of these things, you're supposed to see yourself not just as the prodigal or the brother. You're supposed to see yourself as the father who's giving the opportunity. That's really With talents, point. you're supposed to see yourself as the one who's giving the talents and how you treat people and how you love people. That's really and we're point. supposed to see ourselves as fathers and mothers. And I love your church because you guys are called, you know, kingdom culture. And I think there's something about believing that we're called to father and mother culture. And that means we have to see ourselves as people who give the opportunities. And to do that, we have to hear and, and to, who are part of our opportunities. We have to hear God's voice and we have to see ourselves in a different context or a light of just coming from that, oh God, you know, to, okay, God, this is what you already want to do. So now you're going to give me the resource as the provider takes to do this already. I don't have to cry out for the resource. I don't have to cry out for the opportunity. You already planned it better than I could dream or hope for before time began. I just need to learn how to rest in you and listen enough to where I get your wisdom and insight on what you've called me to do. That's amazing. So just quickly on that last story, when you got that word about the daughter, I know for me sometimes, just to make it practical for those that are listening to lean in, I know for me sometimes I'll feel this person has a daughter. Sometimes I'll hear, like, I, I don't know how to explain it. I'll just like, hear this, this, this word daughter, or maybe I'll see the, the, the word daughter in my mind, flash in my mind. And a lot of times for me, because I'm very visual, I actually, the impression comes by visual. I'll actually see it in my mind's eye. For you, in that moment, are you feeling it intuitively? Well, I actually, it's the same kind of thing, but maybe a different language for it, is I saw a friend of mine, their daughter at 16, who had gone through a very similar thing, and I saw her in, in light of them. And I just was like, I kept in my mind's eye just thinking of her. And so I just that's why I asked it as a question. I didn't say, God has told me. But I said, hey, um, do you have a daughter who's 16 who's going through a lot? And her name was very similar to my other friend's names. Uh, daughter's name so it's very I knew that it was something like that too because I've learned how to hear from God sometimes where he does word association as well and so um so it was just I, I just saw and I see that all the time like I sometimes I'll see my sister Jennifer in my head and then I'll look at the person and say do you know Jennifer and they're like that's my name you know when I'm at Starbucks or something so it's like just even being faithful and lots of times it's not I mean there's many times it doesn't happen where I'm like I, I go is, is Jennifer does the name Jennifer mean anything to you and they're like no and I'm like oh, okay I don't know why I thought that. And then I'm thinking like, my sister's an artist. She's creative. Like I'll think of things she has. And, I'm, and then I'll ask them if I have any rapport with them. I'll be like, 
maybe it's about art. Are you artistic? And they're like, totally. And so not to get hung up by details and have to be right is yep. huge in hearing God's voice because we're all in this. Like my first major book on this was called Translating God and learning how to hear God's voice for yourself and the world around you. And I, if you've ever had a really good translator, um, they're taking thoughts and they're translating them into new thoughts. And because language isn't always direct, especially if you're like from English to Chinese, it's so different. And so when you've worked with a really good translator, you feel like you can conquer the world. When you work with a bad translator, it takes so Painful. much more work. Painful. <laughs> Exhausting. And so God's like that with us. He's like, oh, you get me. I, I speak to you in parables. Like Matthew 18, 18 is a great scripture where Jesus says, I'm speaking to you in parables because I want to create receptive insight inside of you. I don't want you to just hear all day directly, but not do anything about it. I actually want to change you from the inside in. So God constantly speaks through word pictures and through thoughts and feelings because he's teaching us what he thinks and about his nature and about people around us versus just saying, I love that girl, but we don't have an emotional attachment to it because we've done no processing about it. So God puts something inside of us, like a somebody's even in the irritation, like a sand to create a pearl. And so there's people I've like, or people groups or things I'm like, Oh, I don't like that. And then by the time I deal with my character and my heart on that, I end up becoming an advocate for someone because of yep. the love that God's put in my heart, but he allows even things that irritate us to become wonderful things. I think, I think that's amazing. And I think word association, you said it like that word association is, I know for me, a really interesting way that God communicates because yeah. like, like you said, it's not about all the details. Cause sometimes you, you can look at something and maybe you think of somebody else, you feel something similar about them. And, I've been at a place where, I mean, there was one time I was in a meeting and I had a word of knowledge. I saw Friday the 13th written in like, you know, like that movie with like blood coming down. And it was like, you know, Jason being the the horror main, you know, main uh, focal point of the, the movie Friday the 13th. And I had this thought, look on your calendar and see when the next Friday the 13th is. Mm. And it was February 13th. And so I went into the meeting and there was this couple and I felt it was for them. And I shared the word and it was the not only did it make sense to her their son's name was jason and his birthday was february 13th oh that's awesome but i saw it as a word association <laughs> i saw the movie the title of the movie and I thought to myself thought to myself oh jason jason's like the 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 main character people are running like you know afraid of in the movie and then it ended up being and then that that word of knowledge actually as simple as it was opened the door for as you know like wisdom prophetic like prophecy <laughs> encouragement strength and it really impacted their life. But word association is huge. And I think, I think a lot of what we're talking about, and I hope we're getting out of this conversation, people that are watching, is that God speaking and leaning into his voice is simpler than you think. And when you're posturing yourself to lean in and say, God, what do you think about this person? Like, even just thinking about the fact that you could think about somebody totally different, and that could be actually God speaking to you about yeah. the person you're with. Like, that's massive breakthrough for so many people in learning to hear the voice of God, because God's not going to always come with a lightning bolt, you know, and a defibrillator and wake you up. And all of a sudden, you know, it's God's voice. Now that can happen. And there are moments when it's aggressive, but I think 99% of the time it's not aggressive. It's very still, it's very small in nature. It feels very insignificant at times, but yet bears the most significant fruit. And so if you can just do a few more things, I'd love for you to share maybe one of your biggest challenges with leaning into the voice of God being that um, anytime anybody is doing anything remotely to what you're doing or, or 
training people to hear the voice of God, you're going to come under some level of scrutiny. You're going to have challenges. You're going to want to give up at times. Maybe you're going to, you're going to want to be like, maybe hold it in. You're going to be at an event. Maybe you had a bad last event, something bad happened and you want to like close in. Like we, we, we're, we're human, right? Like, and we can get bitter easy. Just give me like one of your biggest challenges and how you overcame that. Oh, you know, I'm still overcoming one of them, which is like, you know, I, I grew up with a root of insecurity that I was born with. I just wanted people to like me. And so like to go up to strangers is still my number one because I'm mostly an introvert. I'm an extrovert introvert, meaning I get most of my energy from being alone or being quiet or refilling. But I do get energy from being with friends, but I don't get energy from being with strangers at all. And so that means like when I go up to a stranger, it takes a lot of energy for me. So when I go up to him and I'm not right, it creates in me a vacuum of, ah, you know, and I've, I've, I've managed that really well and I've overcome. I wish I could say it's totally gone and it's not. But I mean, I go up to, you know, strange, I still do it. Like I'll, you know, be in an Uber or whatever. And luckily the last couple of months I've been stuck at home and um, people don't want to talk when you go to grocery shopping, which is great because I just feel like I've, <laughs> I've had a little bit of a rest time, which is good. But No, um, guilt, no guilt to not minister lay hands oh, in it. Exactly. I haven't been traveling. I haven't had... I haven't had to perform. It's great. But I've actually been busier than ever, but we've been mostly creative content versus being a one-on-one prophetic voice for people, which has been actually something I needed rested, I think. And, but, you know, like, I think with people, um, when you ask them questions or when you give something to people, and I've had this happen in meetings where I pointed somebody out and said, does this make sense to you? And they'll say, no, then they'll come back to me and they'll say, that was my anniversary day. I just forgot. And so, excuse me. And so, Someone's always going to be validated. Other times I'm not validated because it was wrong. And I asked him a question and it was wrong. And I think being wrong and being with strangers where you don't know who they are um, and wanting people to think the best, but they don't always think the best and how weird that can get. It's just hard. It's just super social awkwardness is hard, period. And I happen to be one of the masters at it on accident. <laughs> and so I think like, you know, it's just painful. And so I think for a lot of us, like, you know, I, I had to go back into the fact that I'm like, God, you didn't wire me for this. He goes, wait a minute, I live in you and I know everybody and I love them. And so I have the right to reach anybody through you. And I hate that. I just hate that. I hate that he has that right, but he does. And now picture this, you're the king's son. You live in the palace. Everything feels super normal. Like the way he talks to you feels normal, but there's people right outside the palace walls who never will have an opportunity to be inside the palace ever. They'll never have the opportunity to see what your father smiles like. They're never, they may see him on TV. They may see him other places, but they'll never have an inside view. And that's who we are. And so it becomes, we're so conditioned to the goodness of God. Even if we have a victim mindset or a poverty mindset, whatever, we still fundamentally believe we're going to heaven, which means we have more than everybody else, you know? And I just think like, I have this thing inside of me that says, no matter how hard it is to say this one more thing to this person on the plane or an Uber or I'm with my family and I feel like I have to go and say something to somebody because I'm not like, I love Todd White. Many of you know who Todd White is. He's so awesome. Like Todd is one of my spiritual heroes and we're like brothers, you know, and uh, we don't get to talk enough. We don't get to spend time enough, but it's just like, I love him, but he's wired and gets a lot of energy from the challenge of speaking to new people and bringing healing or a prophetic word. And I, I watch him everywhere I go. He's just on, he just says that. And I've tried to have the on button, that's just out of raw grit and passion. And it's just not who I am the same way. So to have to be real with my limitations and say, God, I really don't want to talk to that person, but I surrender that lack of desire to you and I will do it for you. And I look at God as a friend. I don't know if you've had this, Sean, but I know you had to have, where one of your friends says, let's go do this. You're like, I don't want to do that at all. I'm going to sleep. And, you're, and they're like, come on, 
come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. And because of their energy and love and desire and how much you love them, you do it. To me, like half of the prophetic assignments I do is not my desire. It's like God going, come on, come on, come on. And I feel his urgency, his love and the adventure of his heart. And I'm the reluctant guy who's, I, my wife calls me the reluctant prophet, the guy who doesn't want to do it. And because of my love for him, I find myself in audiences, circles, spheres that I would have never belonged to, or I, I'm out of order in, meaning I don't fit into because of my whatever. And I'm like, this is awesome. Like, this is fun. So I learned how to be obedient because I have a big never list. I'll never do this. I'll never, and God's had me do a ton of them. And so I'm like, I'm not going to say never anymore. I'm just going to, I, I kind of do so just because that's my personality, but I'm like, I'm, I just trust God. So I think that might help some people who are watching to say, you know, this isn't like me who's driven as an evangelist to go out and prophesy over people. This is just me having God's heart, knowing the father going, they need to see your smile. They need to see what I see. And I can't help but show Jesus is so beautiful. Like, how could we not show his, I mean, this beautiful Jesus who gave his life so we can have this incredible existence in eternity, but also a measure of it now. And I'm like, I can't not talk for him. I mean, I get all eternity to be quiet if I need to be, but I can't not do this. He's too good. That's amazing. You know, you just, you, you highlighted something so important. It's all about surrender in the end. And yeah. often God hands the mic to those that don't want it. Those that would say, I would never do this. I'll never do that. God hands the mic to them and says, okay, my grace is going to be even stronger because you don't want it because you're not out there selfishly trying to push your ambition, uh, be the man, be the woman. And so God gives you the opportunity and an extra grace. And I feel like, I mean, watching your life, man, and even just watching, I, I don't know what year it was, but when you had that significant shift with that encounter and all of a sudden yeah. like things just popped. And I remember being at the love coalition one year and it was just like, you had shifted, like something had shifted in you, on you, around you. You had an encounter or something that, that transformed part of you. And uh, you just kept saying yes over and over again, which really I think is the greatest key to leaning into yeah. the voice of God is it's saying so yes, good over and over and over and over again that in my weakness I'm even stronger because of God's grace when I don't want to do it and God and I submit to God who wants to do it God gives me the strength to do it and do it well and so you've modeled that man I think that's a great key I wonder if you just as we shift here if we you know there's people that are watching you know we've been talking about revive the recognition talking about the voice of God learning to lean in to the voice of God in our lives. And we've shared some keys, stories, examples. And uh, I just believe God's reviving us to awaken us to the, the importance of the voice of God, especially in a season of pandemic where yeah. we need perspective in a way that we've never had before. We need a pandemic perspective, a prophetic perspective in this season. And so there are people that are watching, they're searching, they don't know, maybe they don't believe in Jesus. They're on the journey. Those that are new believers in Jesus, fresh on the journey, wowed by this whole conversation about the voice of God. Wow, could I have that? Could I experience that? Yes, you can is the answer. But for those that are watching that are on a journey that maybe aren't there yet, I'm wondering, Sean, if you could just kind of lead them into a moment right now. Uh, and those maybe will watch this later are going to be in the same, same category. Yeah. Lead them into a moment of encounter. And then after that, just, you know, pray for us and just all those that are watching, and if you get anything, just, you know, prophesy, speak into it, pray. And I just, I, I believe God's going to do some amazing things. That's awesome. So those of you who are just curious or just searching, maybe, uh, I want to encourage you 
to press into this, like, like think about God in a Christian context as a God who loves, who literally gave his son his life. And if you don't fully understand it, you don't have to yet. He gave his life of his son to restore us to a connection that we're wired for in the beginning to really do life with him. The, the favorite relationships you've ever had where you feel in sync with the person, you feel like you know each other's inside jokes, you feel so connected. They give you so much life. They give you courage. God is that kind of relationship on steroids because you are wired the most for your relationship with God. He is not a controller. He doesn't want you to be subservient. He wants you to be a son or his daughter. And he gave you a relationship through Jesus who's the most beautiful person. Like if you could have a moment with the most famous person on the earth who you respect and just spend time with them, think about that all the time with Jesus. That's who Jesus is. That's why we want to hear from God because when we hear Jesus's voice, it's like if you could be with Oprah, Bill Gates, all the best ones, you know, in, in secular society or big society, wrapped up into one person for the wisdom that they have, and it's better than that. And I just want to encourage you to just give them a try. Ask them to come into your life. Ask them, just tell them the things that are separating you from feeling connected to yourself, the things that you don't like about yourself, the things that you feel like you keep doing over and over and over that are stupid or that just aren't producing great results. And just give them those things and say, make me a new person. I give you my strengths. I give you my weaknesses. And I want a life that can't be man-made. I want a life that can only be made by you, God, if you're real. And I give you my life and I try this. I give you my life to do something with. And then read the Gospel of John. Read, And you can get it for free online, BibleGateway.com. Read the message version. is a great version for it. Read the Gospel of John. You're going to start to understand and get some awareness for who Jesus is and why he came. He's so awesome. And to have... I mean, if, if you're friends with them, anybody and you love them, you can't help but talk about them in every conversation. That's what you'll be doing with God because you'll be like, oh my gosh, I thought I couldn't quit smoking. And then God showed me this or all of a sudden I had this or all of a sudden I had a new desire. He created a desire that was bigger than my desire for smoking. I mean, he's that good. So I'm going to encourage you to give your life. And I just pray with you right now that that surrender would be easy, even if it feels weird or different or strange, that you'd be able to just Holy Spirit, would you show us how to give our life to you? Because it's really ultimately you who reveal yourself to us. And then you allow us to give our lives to you in a way that's organic and real. Would you allow that process to happen right now? And for everybody else who's uh, watching, I just pray over you that God would give you Ephesians 1.17, the spirit of wisdom and revelation so you could really know Jesus more. That's ultimately what the prophetic's about is not about doing something for him, not about being in ministry, not about being the best business person, not about whatever, and not being the best dad or mom even. It's about you knowing Jesus. And in knowing him, you start to get rewired, rebuilt, reconstructed to be you. And I love uh, who God's made you to be. And, you know, if you, if you could see his reflection or you're in, in his eyes, your reflection of what he sees, uh, you would make so many different choices. Even today, even right now in a pandemic, you would make so many different choices. And so let's do that. Let's look into his eyes. Let's look for his reflection. Let's not look at what we're not and what we can't do and what we can't become today in our own strength and out of our own weakness. But let's look at Jesus and say, God, what can you make me? What do you want for me? When you thought of me before time began, before I was in my mother's womb, what was your generous desire for me? And ask him that. Ephesians 3.20 wants to do beyond what you could hope for or imagine. And I pray over you that you would get revelation about that today. And for those of you, um, I feel like there's a prophetic deposit for some of you. And what that means is that God's putting something inside of you, like Exodus 31. Basileau, he breathed on him and he was able to do things creatively and have a creative ingenuity or genius on his life and then the company of men to bring about everything God needed in that generation to be worshiped and loved. And I feel like over you guys who are watching, especially kingdom culture, that God's putting a prophetic deposit in, like he's breathing on many of you right now. Like this has been a reset. The way you spent your time before 
the lockdown is different than after lockdown. Like God's even kind of re-engineering your life and your desires. And some of you who didn't give yourself permission to get off maybe what was a hamster wheel, a gerbil wheel, as you're off now because of this pandemic. And God wants to, Romans 8, 28, he wants to use this for your good and not put you back on another hamster wheel, but actually put you into something that is the partnership of what he created you for. Some of you, he's delivering you from what you built and your own strength and even just listening to him, but not like fully surrendering. And he's allowing you to come into a point of total dependence on him. And that's scary because it feels like, you know, a cash flow issue. It feels like, you know, poverty or it feels like fear or it feels like, but when you surrender all that, you cast your cares upon God. He becomes this beautiful picture of someone who can restore, rebuild, recreate, and ultimately really create your life. And Matthew 5 and 6, I speak it over you when Jesus spoke his first sermon, that he said, consider the lilies of the field. They didn't labor to get this beautiful or the birds of the air. They didn't labor to get their food. God will not cause you to have to strive to do what he's put inside of you. But if you listen to him, you're going to see a result in your, whether it's survival mode you're in because of finances or the pandemic, or whether it's just, you don't know what to do. You don't have direction or you don't have identity in some areas. He will not cause you to strive to get that. He will give it to you freely as you lean into him. And though it may take a process, it's a beautiful process where the things that are ugly start to become valuable to you. And I pray that over you right now, especially those of you who are creative, that you would be able to take steps towards what God's really called you to and be delivered from the normal and the mundane. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Sean. That was amazing. Thank you so much for your time, for spending time having this conversation. I just know that so many people out there that are going to watch this later and that are watching this live right now uh, have been impacted. And so, man, you're amazing. Uh, I want to encourage everybody watching, check out Sean's website it's on the screen get some of his resources sign up for his e-courses sign up for his online mentoring platforms i know it will be a huge milestone in the transformation of your life so once again i want to thank you we're talking about revive the recognition leaning into the voice of god for our revive 2020 theme as a community Thank you so much, Kingdom Culture, for watching and all those that are new with us today. We hope that you had an amazing experience. Before you tune out, check out this video, and we'll see you next time.